Human Behind the Chair podcast. Today with me is Brandon. I'm so excited to have you on there finally after yes. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited for them to get to know you. So I think I want to start off with your childhood today because you grew up in St. Marth, I want to say. Yeah. Good yeah. memory. Yeah. 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 Countryside. Oh my God. Very countryside. Mm-hmm. I was a- so secluded yeah <laughs> uh well we're very secluded so we were the only house on the street that was like a farm not even a farm sorry stop it yeah so because it's a lot more populated now it is a lot more populated but when you grew up in the 90s there it was literally farm 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 our house farm 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 <laughs> and we didn't know our neighbors yeah we we were pretty much the only English people on that whole street, yeah. for sure. And <laughs> yeah, so when I would say secluded, it was secluded. It was always just our family. And then, of course, we had our family come to see us there and we would go out. But yeah. So you grew up with, I think you said two brothers. No, no? three brothers. Oh we're four God. boys. That's too much boys. Uh, can you believe my mom wanted seven? And she, luckily she stopped at four. <laughs> Your dad must have been like... No. <laughs> oh, but, you know, that was one thing my parents agreed on their first date is that they wanted a big family. And it, that was, I think, that really what binded them is like they wanted the exact same thing. Like my parents met October 30th, married April 5th. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. It was That's... very like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Like, <laughs> like we're, let's walk to the freaking ceremony now, basically. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty oh much. God. Yeah. So I was, so I'm technically, yeah, I'm number two number out of the two. four boys. Yeah. Are your brother, you and your brother's close? Um, so so. So I guess, so. Yeah. So like, there's my older brother Chris, who's also gay, mm. and uh, we don't really talk. Oh no. And then there's the two younger brothers who are living out in Rive de Baudet right now. So, yeah. Is that further? <laughs> it's much further. Is that like your Ontario border? It, it's the last exit. Of the Quebec No wonder, side. it sounds familiar. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so both of them live out there, and uh, they're, we're just so different. Yeah, because you're so city. We're so, yeah, but we're like, we're also different, though, in the sense that it's, we all came from the same parents, but we're so different. And I think that we just are binded because we're brothers, but right. we are just not binded with a friendship. Yeah. Do you, get, you know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah. love them because you're brothers, but it's not like you would be like, hey, let's hang out all the time. No, like we're not the siblings that see each other often. We don't text each other often. Right. Like, it's just more like, you know. When Christmas. Fa- yeah, Christmas <laughs> or family occasions. Yeah. Yeah, it's usually the girlfriends that bind us b- better, actually. <laughs> okay. I would text them and then... I would not hear anything from them for a week. So I would have to message the girlfriends. Like, did they get the text messages? Oh, yes, we talked about this already. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, like, <laughs> I wish I got the text, but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you yeah. should have texted me. Yeah, exactly. How was it like growing up with so many brothers, though? Um, Funny. I have a memory of we would go on vacation every year. We would drive down to, like, Virginia Beach or Myrtle Beach or Maine. And I would be all in the van, ready to go. And I'd turn my head and seeing, like, two other brothers in the back and then a trunk full of stuff, I'd be like, this is too much. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, but you know what? Honestly, You knew at a young age you were I like, knew this at a y- <laughs> I knew at a young age that that was a lot. Um, but I don't know anything else. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I wouldn't say it's too much. Right. I used to always joke about the thing. I would love to have been an only child because 
all the attention's on you and all the finances are on you. <laughs> You're like, I wanted the money. <laughs> I would have been I would have gone to private school probably. I probably would have done all these other things. No, but no, but honestly, like I am very lucky that I have a already a big family mm. in that sense. It's a na- that's the thing. It's a natural big family right away. That's crazy. So yeah. would you want to have a big family or no? No. No way. If I ever settle down mm. in the sense of like be with somebody or even not even be with someone if i end up waking up at 40 years old i'm like i would like to have a family i definitely would be happy starting with one yeah and if then my interests grow to having a second one i'll have a second one but as of right now currently at 30 years old i'm like not really interested in kids right now no so, way. <laughs> no i think yeah. it's cool because you have you're having more other dreams and what you want more right yeah yeah i mean when you would ask 20-year-old Brandon, he'd be, like, on a date and be like, do you want kids? And if you said no, I'd be like, okay, it's over. Like, right away. Oh, he I, knew what he wanted at 20. At 20 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 20-year-old Brandon was dating more 40-year-olds than 30-year-old Brandon was dating right now. Stop yes, it. Yes, because I felt I was... I felt being 20, I felt like I knew who I was right away. And I knew like this, that, this, that. And I wanted it this way or the highway. I was very, but I was, no, I was like, I was. I love that. Yeah, I was a very determined 20 year old, you know, like. And so at 20 years old, I knew I wanted a family and I knew I wanted a husband. But now, I guess evolving, I guess Mm -hmm. you can say. Yeah. Life bring you different and detours. It's made me like appreciate I guess life has a lot more to offer than sure. what the norm is. I think so. Right? What, what do you think? Norm. What do you think got you to your twenty-year-old self that was so determined? Like, why do you think you were so determined? Wow, um, that's a heavy question. I think. Well, unfortunately, my mom passed away when I was sixteen, and uh, how did I, she pass away? It was unfortunately a car accident. So oh she really like it was not like we got time to say goodbye. It was like literally she left to go to the bank and never came back home. So, um, so at 16, lost my mom, was left with my two younger brothers, because my older brother had moved out already. Okay. Uh, and there was a lot of turmoil with that situation already. And uh, my dad and I were not close whatsoever. No. Like, I, we had the relationship was like, hi, bye kind of situation. Was it already like that? Or it was already like that. Okay, like, okay. I, didn't that's the thing about like being again a teenager you're 16 years old you're so easily embarrassed by the smallest stupidest things yeah and usually materialism affects that um mindset 100 so i was embarrassed by my dad and i didn't like my dad and he's also french canadian like full-on french canadian and uh i didn't really have that communication like there was a communication barrier anyway so i moved out in February. So my mom passed away in November. I moved on in February. That's a, like... Yeah. That was... Sh- you just were like, bye. Oh, I knew... I knew deep down inside I was not going to survive if I did not move out. How come? Mentally. Yeah. Like, the dark thoughts mm. were a constant. Mm. It was not easy whatsoever. No. So I knew I had to move out. You did it for you. I did That's it for amazing. me. I did it for me. And yeah. being a 16-year-old moving out, again, thinking I was able to do it, I did it. Right. Because I'm still standing here. But, I mean, it was very, very, very hard. So, I think be, moving out at 16 years old and already having those struggles about paying rent, paying your car, going to school, going to work, having a social life, and doing all that. Like, when I look back at old pictures of me, I'm like, 
what the hell was I thinking? Oh my god! You know, I can't even imagine. Like so yeah. much is happening once you just passed. Your mom just passed away. You moved out. You're like I'm finishing already, high school. Yeah, I'm finishing high school. Trying I have to figure to make, your yeah, life out exactly. And I was still a competitive figure skater at that point too. So it was like a lot was going on. But the thing is, I don't know where that brain like mindset came from. Like it was. I'm not saying I was sheltered, right? But I was sheltered. Yeah, like I lived this perfect middle class life. I was a competitive figure skater. Um, I had a, a a good family kind of idea, and then yeah. just all of a sudden, I guess when everything came crashing down, I guess I already had that built inside of me. Yeah, because when you think of it, if all that stuff comes crashing down on another person, I don't think some people would be able to survive that. No, 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 I, mean, I don't think so. No, no, I think most people. Wouldn't be able to survive that, right? Because it's a lot. It's a lot when your mom passes away, and you're already at sixteen. You're so impressionable, and you already have like the puberty and hormones going on with you. You don't know who you are yet, right. and going from know who, not knowing who you are, and then having all these responsibilities at the same time. Yeah, I feel like that can break you. Yeah, yeah. Like you you built yourself that way, but yeah. most people it would break them. And I never played the victim. That's amazing. I think a few times I tried. Yeah. I knew it didn't work. No. <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> I knew. Like, I remember, like, trying to get my, make my dad feel guilty about something. Right. And and my dad was not the type of man who would take that. But, uh, and I remember I was like, okay, this doesn't work. I clearly have to create my own happiness. You know? I love that. I remember, I remember, like, telling myself that. I was in my apartment at 17 years old. Just, you know, when you're lying in bed and you're just thinking about things? Yeah. And I was like, okay, no. And I remember telling myself, like, when will I be happy? Yeah. And I literally even told this to one of my friends. I said, I think I'll just be happy when I'm just comfortable and I can breathe. Yeah. Because at that point, I was just felt like I was always chasing. Yeah. Always chasing. You know, chasing well, this, this, yeah. You're trying to figure it out. Yeah. You're yeah, trying yeah. to like make us basically your own stable home that you didn't really have. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Is that, do you think that's what you crave all the time is stability? No. No? The funny oh. thing is I got stability. Okay. And it was starting to drive me crazy. Because mm. you're so used to like chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, if I'm not saying that I lived a lot in 10 years, but I've definitely lived a lot in 10 years. Yeah. And so now I would say the last six years of my life have been pretty steady in the yeah. sense of like, there's not been really any highs and lows, mm. but uh, it's, yeah. And stability makes me question a lot, actually. It's like, am I doing the right thing? Am I fulfilling my needs? Am right. I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Does it make give you a lot of doubts? Doubts you, in... Like, and decisions you're making because you're, there's too much stability. Of course. You're like, you're thinking, almost thinking more than of you should. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, which is so interesting. I don't know if you had this also when you were growing up, but I feel when you are, let's say, 16 years old or even 20 years old, mm. you feel like already 30, you're ending your life. Yeah. You think at 30, you're like, okay, I'm almost done. Yeah. <laughs> so. I still a little feel that way. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm 30. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit, I can live another 50 years. Yeah. So why am I settling for what I have now? Because I feel like that's, that's in a sense of stability right now is settling with what I have right now. Yeah. Some people be content with Mm -hmm. that because I mean, again, like I'm, I'm comfortable in life. Yeah. I'm able to do what I want when I would like to financially I'm comfortable. I'm like, again, I'm not tied on. I don't have any children, Mm. you know, like, so some people may be really happy with this, but now I'm thinking about like, 
there's got to be more than just this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And so from 20 to 25, what was so crazy during that time? Well, so 20 to 25 is when I stopped figure skating. Okay. And that was a huge thing for me. Like, that actually put me into a little bit of a dark hole again. Because here I was doing this for all my, like, my pretty much the majority of my life at that point. That's true. And that's what I identified myself as. I identified myself as a figure skater who was going to go to the Olympics. And when that was done, it's like, who am I? Yeah. So then that's when I went to, that's when I decided to go into fashion school and I studied at, uh, I studied at LaSalle College. Oh, yes. And I actually finished the degree and then I was trying to, then I guess you can say identify as an, trying to be a fashion designer. But then after studying fashion, I was like, no, I don't think I want to be a fashion designer for a company because I don't want to do my own designs, get stamped another company's name on it. You, you know? want your name. Yeah. So then that was so when I finished that. That's when I decided to go into university thinking that I need a bachelor's because this world demands bachelor's and master's just for any job you can do, right? Yeah. So then I, w- then I went to the University of Ottawa. So I moved out of Montreal, lived in Ottawa, thought I was going to spend the rest of my life in Ottawa. Did you like it? Or? I did, actually. Oh, yeah? Because when I went to Ottawa, I made it and I told myself, don't compare it to Montreal. Oh, because most people do. And which is wrong. Yeah, that's you true. You don't do that. Mm. Ottawa is actually a much younger city than Montreal is. That's true. And it's a government town, right? It's a government city. Yeah. However, if you go now, you're going to be seeing all these little pop-ups of these really cool restaurants and little shops. And it's a very cool and trendy i find ottawa Mm -hmm. so when i was there i was like in the booming time Mm. and i made immediate friends immediate friends like i remember that my first night in ottawa it was i think it was thursday or wednesday and i decided to go to the local gay bar and i'm literally at the gay bar by myself and then a guy just comes up to me he's like you're not from here i'm like no i'm not he's like yeah a lot of people we know come here on the same days well but i was like okay and then he ended up being my best friend Stop it. Through the whole time I was in Ottawa. Yeah, and he introduced me to his friends. But anyway, so Ottawa was a great time. Mm. <clears throat> I guess I was a little bit too social <laughs> when I was in <laughs> Ottawa instead of concentrating on my studies. But then, and then so after that year, I really like looked at myself and I was in class. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Why am I really doing this? Is this because what I think what I'm supposed to do, or is this what I think I'm supposed? I know I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So then I decided that's when I decided to move back home, which was more comfortable in the yeah. sense of I knew home, right? So, yeah. And so then that's it. I would say that's up to yeah, it's up to 25 years old, and then I could, then I just was fully concentrating on hairdressing in that sense. Did you go to hairdressing school before? Before, yeah, yeah. before. So I mean, it was right after high school. Oh, <clears> so you I went, went high yeah. school hairdressing, yeah. LaSalle, and then fashion, and then yeah, LaSalle College Fashion, and then, and then University of Ottawa for communications, and damn. then back home to then just mainly concentrate concentrate on hairdressing. Damn. My friend's mom was actually the one that really helped me put things from perspective. She goes, Brian, when you do it at home, you love it. Yeah. But then when you do it in a salon, you don't love it. And I was like, ah. She was just like, why don't you just concentrate on trying to find a salon that you want to work at? Yeah, it's the culture, right? And she goes, you interview them. Mm. They don't interview you. It's very true. And I was like, oh my God. I, and I took that back. I was like, wow. So then I remember quitting my job at the time because it was in fashion. And then I then took a full month off to just look at the hair salons. I think I went to like 10 interviews. Stop it. 
the major luckily the majority hired mm -hmm. but then i didn't i didn't accept because i didn't get that good vibe yeah and then finally it fell upon the sun i was at almost for six years and i remember the owner and i just we couldn't stop talking we were like talk we talked spoke for two hours and I, that's why I ended up working for the last almost six years. That's good. Yeah. So what yep. is your criteria? Like what, when you go into the interview, what is it that you ask them that what you want offered? Education. Education? I am almost a sense of mentorship. Ooh, I, I like, like that. I would like the owner to at least shine their knowledge on the staff. Yeah. I would like me to go up to the owner and be like, I love that haircut. Do you think you and I can stay on, on this Tuesday and you can show me this haircut? Like that type of rapport. Um, also, I wanted growth. I said, I don't want to plateau every single year. I want, I would like growth. I would like to see growth and mm -hmm. I would love growth offered mm -hmm. by the salon as well. Yeah. Um, again, there you go with the whole being plateau and being comfortable and never want to be comfortable <laughs> um, but yeah um, that was another thing I said and also just I said no drama I love that no drama I said I would like to come to work and love work because I love what I do I don't want yeah. to not go to work because I don't like what's going on here right and it was completely that's I you can tell by people's responses by that right yeah. away yeah. You know? Yeah, it's true. A lot of them, when they know they have drama, they're like, oh, everything's fine. We're all happy here, you know? Like, we're all get along. We're all one big happy family. You're just like, that no. was too quick. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah. no. No. There's, I feel like in any work environment, there's always a little drama. But I feel like at the end of the day, as, as long as everyone respects each other mm. and there's communication, you're good. There's always going to be, like, there's, there's comments. There's drama and, and then there's, like, drama. I, yeah, this is there's, very true. There Drama. Negativity drama, where it's like. But drama in the sense of like when people start bringing your personal life into the salon life, mm. um, that's where the drama is a little bit too much. Okay. You know, like yeah. when, let's say, an owner disagrees with your life outside, like outside of the salon. Right. Yes, yes, yes. And that owner starts wants to, or start um, thinking your certain way at work. Oh, like the judgment that comes yes. with it. Yeah, I let's say you're a partier. Now. Yeah. But yet you do your job excellent. Like yeah. you're never late. You do a great job. Your clients love you. But then the drama can start by, let's say, the I'm just saying an owner, but it could be a staff member. Right. The owner not liking that you're a party animal. Right. And then they can start being like being super nitpicky on you. Yeah. That type of and drama. And then picking on you a little bit too, Ex right? Exactly. You know? Or even the drama in the sense that like someone's just having like hatred towards someone in the sense like oh because this person doesn't dress appropriately to work or they fry their client's hair kind of idea and then they start that little bicker amongst yeah. you know what I mean like yeah that's the type of drama that I cannot stand the drama in the sense of like oh my gosh you didn't help me wash my hair like my client's hair that's stupid drama yeah that's only work drama yeah you know so but I feel like we all complain a little bit at we work do. anyways it's like but like sometimes you need to yeah you just gotta like cathartically complain about stupid things yes. you know yes. even at home you're like ugh my coffee machine didn't work this morning I'm so annoyed it started my day off stupid right right you need right. that like little bit sometimes yes that's very true that's very true yeah you know <laughs> yeah. you know yeah yeah that's very true yeah so You've been in the industry for how long now? Like working twelve years. Twelve years. That's a long time. Mm, yeah. And how do you how do you feel after twelve years from then until now? How much the industry has changed? So much. 
So much, eh? Because so I feel like for much. me, I haven't been in industry as long as you. It's been like seven years. And when I started now, it's like the difference is crazy with yeah. social media. Yeah. Just clients are so much more educated. Yes. Like, Which I don't mind. I love that. I don't mind that. Um, I, I mind it when they start believing that they can do my job better than I can. Yes, I understand. Well, they take control of the consultation. Right. I do not like that when they try to re-question my requests or my suggestions. Right. Based on because this is what they read Um, on social media. mm -hmm. I remember when the whole bonding treatment started coming out. Yes. That was an exciting time for all hairdressers. Yes. It was a very exciting time. And when you actually look down into the nitty-gritty about why Olapex was created. It was because the creator went into hair salons and actually asked people, what service do you want to offer your clients more but can't? You know what they said? What? Not blonding. Right. Perming. Oh. Olapex was created originally to bring back perms. Stop it. You didn't know this? I did not know this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I discovered Olapex when it hadn't even been in Canada yet. Like, oh. I mean, I was, like, researching so much, so much about it. And then I cl- my boss actually created, sorry, but she, like, pretty much created, like, a fake account, U.S., to be able to get it. <laughs> yeah? Yes. And, yeah. So, anyways, um, but, yeah, it was to bring back perming. It's because, I didn't you know, know that. Yeah, because we perming disappeared. That's true. Young people used to do perms all the time. Mm-hmm. Ask anyone who's right now in their 40s and 50s, they'll tell you they at least got one perm, one perm their whole life. My dad has curly hair and he got a perm. You know, people did perms just to heighten their curls even more, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so going back on the whole basis is that bonding solutions were supposed to come back to help bring back perms and end up realizing that it could help your blonding services. Right. And I then going now back to what we're talking about, the consultation is that clients, when I remember they first heard about this, they just thought automatically can be platinum blonde like that. Yeah. And I was like, honey, no, Olaplex is not a magic wand. No, we wish it was, though. Us, too, we wish. (laughs) Of course. I'm like, your hair is already fried. (laughs) It cannot be save your fried hair and you cannot be platinum blonde even with your fried hair yeah we have to fix this before we ever do something else right for sure yeah i definitely think that i also feel like when i first started hairdressing and now the education yeah is so much better yeah but i also think that it's it's easier to get to because they have online education now yes and it's not just like oh you have to go through yeah. like the companies to get educated Yes, yeah. there's like independent educators now. Yeah. And it's more niched. Yes. A lot more niche because of the whole balayage. Right. You know? And I also saw that you went to, um, you traveled. Tell them where you traveled to go visit. Oh. For your education. Yeah, I traveled to Los Angeles. It was a two years ago already. Yeah, two years ago. Um, the goal was actually to be able to see more than one colorist. However, at the time, it was hard to schedule more than one colorist at the same time. Right. Um, so I actually ended up going to shadow Justin Anderson. Yes. And a lot of if I be, people are listening, Justin Anderson is known now for being on Very Cavallari. Yes. <clears throat> he He's Chris and Cavallari's like best friend slash colorist. Yeah. And so I went to go shadow him because I really admired him. Um, a few years before his DPU line, he actually um, started this YouTube channel. And it was very m- not superly professionally done. 
you can tell he was trying to make something mm. out of nothing. Right. And I just loved his techniques. I loved the way he worked. I saw a lot of myself in his work. So, um, and then he started then DP Hugh, uh, which I also do love. I love the line. I love the I whole. Agree. Yeah, I, I love agree. it. I love the whole idea about everything is actually close to being natural as possible, right? Yeah. With the apple cider vinegar. Mm-hmm. And also the studies are in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then he was offering at the time um, shadowing. Um, and honestly, he was offering it pro bono for free. Yeah. All you need to get to. I hate to. you even more. <laughs> so I hated you when you told me. <laughs> and I hate you more because you told me it was free. You're going to start drama in the salon now. Yeah. <laughs> no. Brandon went to see Justin Adam free. I didn't know. But yeah, so he was offering that. All you need to do is get your butt down to LA. So I told myself, you know what? I can do this. I can really do this. So um, I went down to LA and then I shadowed him for a day. He worked on three clients. Uh, was it three clients or two clients? I think, you know, at the end of the day, it was only two. Um, however, it was very interesting about how this one person right now has a whole team behind him. I was really expecting to walk in there, him, his assistant, and maybe the girl who I was emailing back and forth. Right. No, there was eight other people there. Huh? So he, the Justin Anderson was creating this company out of this little house in I remember. Los Angeles. Yeah. Yes. And all those other rooms in the house were offices, pretty much. They were... They're not salons? No, they were building his brand. Oh. So he literally would have some person for marketing. Then he would have someone person for like for the photos. And he had his assistant. And then he had, I guess you can say, his other personal assistant. And he was building the business at the same time. And it was very much like he would come, do the client, et cetera, et cetera. And then he left. And then the assistant who Alexi, who I adore, he is a sweetie. Like he actually is now getting really noticed for doing Miley's Miley's hair now. <gasps> yeah, he Ooh. she actually really believed in him at the beginning, and she really helped push him. And now he's like been doing her blonde what with her mullet haircut. I love it. Yes. Anyway, so and he also is known for doing Noah Cyrus's hair also. So Alexi, um, he's adorable, and he was he was on showing us like oh, Justin likes doing this. We do this now. So. Honestly, it was very much of like a shadowing with Alexi, but uh, but it was nonetheless a really interesting way of seeing about like how this man needs this much support mm. to be able to make him who he is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I remember, even though like, one of his assistants came out, she's like, "Leighton Meester is texting you. She needs her hair done for this. She got her hair done here, and she's not happy with it. Can you be able to fit her in?" It's just like it was very much. Wow, this is now no longer hairdressing in the salon this is now a business yeah you know yeah, yeah. it's yeah. gonna must have been so cool to see it run so differently compared to like the norm yeah everywhere else right? yeah well you know what that's the thing is it's not the norm for us no but it's pretty much the norm for them they live in la right, right? they're used to these hairstylists who work in salons who want to end up doing this 
I love that though. Right? Their vision. Uh, but, but you know what? That um yes, I loved like and Justin supposedly was always an entrepreneur. Like his mom actually, which was cute, his we met his mom and his mom came because she, she got her hair done by him and it was they were doing like this Mother's Day shoot in prepare for preparation for Mother's Day. And she was uh, telling us that Justin was always entrepreneurial. He always what well, he would do a lemonade stand to save money to buy something else, or he was always trying to create a business for himself when he was young. That's and so cool. he said that he actually fell in love with hairdressing based on the business side of it. And that so for me, I was like, wow, I got into hairdressing for the creative side of yeah. it. Yeah. So it was another nice way of the outlook of seeing that there is actually two sides of this business. It's the hair is the artistic and there's the business side to it. It's kind of yeah. cool that he also combined the two because he is still a creative person, but he just started in a business perspective and just kind of blended the two together type yes, of thing, right? Yes, exactly. Whereas, yeah. like, I feel like most hairdressers come for the creative and a lot of them just stay for the creative, too. And, you know... So, but, I mean, I'm not putting any judgment out there, but I feel like that's where you see the divide between a good hairdresser and a bad hairdresser. Mm. I worked with a lot of hairdressers mm. and seen a lot of hairdressers, and I feel like the ones who really treat it too much as a business, mm. there's not that passion into it anymore yeah, i see what you're saying and it's very much like in out service yeah i'm completely opposite yeah if i need to take two hours on your full head of highlights because you want to achieve this type of blonde yeah maybe the other girl down the street from me can do it in an hour mm. but i would not be able to do that no because i need to know your integrity is correct mm-hmm. like fine i need to know the highlights are equal. Yeah. I need to know I'm not missing any spots. Mm-hmm. I need to know that I just need, there's so much my brain goes through when I think about yeah. hair that I would not be able to like within an hour, think of all that stuff and be able to launch out a product yeah. that is, I feel also happy with. Yeah. You know, I like that. I think um, with hairdressers now, they're, they're a lot of more passionate people because they want the people who walk out, the results to be what they want to. True. You know what I mean? I feel like, bef- I don't know, I feel like the industry's changing that way where before it was just like in and out, like whatever, like chunky highlights, like you're, you're here. And but you're chunky leave. highlights were in though. When For you sure. Think of it. But yeah. I, I feel like, but now the chunky highlights are coming back in. Yeah. But <laughs> I feel like hairdressers are more, they're more passionate and they're more like, I want, I want to be happy just as the client wants to be happy. Yes. The hairdresser wants to be happy with results. I feel like back then it was but a little different. It depends. I mean, if you talk to, um, again, hairdressers, I would say, think in their 40s and 50s right now. Hairdressing, and I'm talking more, more about Montreal, hairdressing was very different. Yeah. Um, hairdressers were were celebrities at the time. Um, and and when I talked to, when I you talked to this age group who worked in Montreal and they were really down and dirty with all the, the with being a hairdresser and working with A-listers from Montreal and Quebec in general, hairdressers were treated a lot differently than how they're treated now. Really? And, um, and hair was actually, I considered, treated more as an art mm. before. Yeah. Then how it's a little bit transitioned into. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I get what you're saying, but at yeah. the same time, when I hear those stories in the back, I uh, hear those stories from other people, and I'm like, ha, there is that now mix. That's true. There is. It, we're, we're able to make a hairdresser into a celebrity much quicker with social media, mm-hmm. but to me, are you really a celebrity? <laughs> is your job really that good yeah yeah 
any belly ash, no offense, any belly ash can look great when you put waves in it. Mm-hmm. Let me see it straight and in six months' time. And blended straight. But that's it. Let me see it straight mm-hmm. and in six months' time. And let me see it when the girl can't even do that. Yeah. So, like, I also find that there's that art that has left in the sense of we are supposed to cater to the client at the end of the day and make their job easier at home. Right. My biggest pet peeve is when they come and they be like, this is too hard for me to do at home. Right. Okay. Let's now let's go back to the drawing board. Yeah. I don't want me. I don't want to give you a Vizdal Sassoon haircut. Yeah. If you are a woman that can't stand blow drying her hair. No. You probably would want that look. Yeah. But you can't get that look every day. No. My job to you is to make your life easier. Yeah. My biggest compliment for my clients is like, Brian, I used to get my hair cut every four weeks. Now I can get every eight weeks. Mm. Another big compliment. Brian, I used to get my highlights on every eight weeks. Now it looks better after 12 weeks. You're like, did I just get it done again? <laughs> but that to me is a huge compliment. It's such a huge compliment. I love seeing my clients. Don't get me wrong, but I, it's even better for me if I don't need to see them all the time because at the end of the day, it is very expensive. Yeah. It is a very expensive, um, pro, I guess you can say practice. <laughs> I guess you could say luxury service because it is, right? You're it going is. like, I feel like now what's changed too is back then, that's all I was saying before, like back then it was so different. Like it would take, what, an hour to do a full head highlights now mm. because it's a lot more intricate. Even if you yes. do chunky highlights, yes. it's like at least three hours service. Yeah. Like the timing is so you're, different now, you're right? right? You're like right. haircuts back then I feel was like everyone was always half an hour. Now I feel like we're more into like 45 minutes. Depends what salon you work at though. This is true. Right? This is Some true. Some salons will restrict you. Yeah in this we're you know what we're fortunate to work at where we do yeah and she allows us to book how we like to book right um but some salons will say that you only have half an hour even that girl comes with a full head of hair of four people that would give me anxiety you see it gives me anxiety also (laughs) because i just feel like it won't be able to give you the best job no right no no that's it and i really feel wash and wear haircuts take longer yeah than fast that like just yeah, fast on haircuts. Mm-hmm. Like, like to me, I take a nice, decent time because I need to see your hair while I'm cutting it wet. I need to see it drying at the same time. I need to see it messy, mm-hmm. and then after I need to see it when it's styled. Yeah, that's three different steps yeah. in a haircut for myself. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to do from wet to dry in half an hour? In half an hour it makes zero sense. Zero sense. No. Zero sense. But even like I felt. Um, the intricate haircuts now, mm-hmm. like the even the short in the back, longer in the front, I feel like a lot of hair just take more time now to do that and mm. really make because the, the blunt cut is in, right? Mm. Make sure there's no like hair sitting out and like mm. those haircuts take longer. They're they not, do. you can't do that in half an hour. No, well, they're that's very close to Vidal Sassoon, though. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. But I feel like back then it was like very like you had to do highlights almost in half an hour. You know, mm. like it was so like yeah. But then you know, at the same time, you had people who were coming in for their roller sets, much that's more, true. Mm-hmm. right? Women yeah. used to go to the hair salon, get their roller set done, put any be put underneath the dryer for half an hour, right? It's so true. And also, when you think of it, hair color has definitely changed so much. Changed the game. Mm-hmm. Like hair color before, I remember one one client told me it was either you were a brunette 
or a platinum blonde. There's no middle. She said redhead was extremely hard to get. You were and you were accidentally a redhead because you did henna a lot more back in the day. Really? Yeah, henna was super popular back in the day. I thought it was more popular now because like no. now people are oh, more no, no, doing no, no, natural. No, 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 no. Henna was very popular back in the day. Talk to a lot of 40, 50 year olds also. They will say henna was very popular back in the day. Um, and so they were just they would end up being naturally redhead because the henna would change their their hair. Dead. But yeah, so I mean, when you think of it, hair color has actually definitely changed the game. So I mean, when you think of it, I guess when we have that many more options, mm. it adds on to time. Oh yeah. Toning didn't exist. No, they didn't. They just they just did like the shampoo. Yeah. The purple shampoo. Exactly. Balayage. Mm. When every little young hairdresser out there wants to think that balayage just came back, uh, just came into the game ten years ago. I'm sorry, honey. It's been around for so long. It's been along for a very long time. It's been around even since I believe I think almost. Just someone tell me even back in the seventies or sixties. I think it was the sixties, and. It was done at the bowl a lot of the time. Yeah. You, Wet balayage. Yes. And there is such thing as a hundred percent. Oh, wait. It's a hundred volume mm, peroxide. There is. That's what they used to do when mm. they did their, their balayages. It was exactly that. A hundred percent bleach at the bowl for 10 to 15, 20 minutes. And then there you go. You had your highlights. It's crazy. Yeah. I know that in Canada, I don't think we're allowed to have that. No. It's I know a, in the States, they do, though. Well, there's 50% in the States? Mm. Oh, wait, no, 54. Sorry. Sorry. It's 50 volume mm. in the States. Here, we're not allowed having anything over 40. I'm kind of happy about that. I know that in Same. Japan, apparently, mm. they have the most hairdressers there don't use more than 20 vol. That makes sense, though. Mm-hmm. You don't really need more than 20 vol. And they don't have... Um, They have a... I think it was like... A 12 to 15 level system. Oh. Yeah. I saw that because I saw one of the hairdressers on Instagram. Yeah. She went to Japan yeah. and she had models in Japan and she like learned so much because so different there apparently. Yes. Like I, I've never heard that before. 12 to 15 level system. For us, it's always been like 9 to 10. Right. Right. It's You're so, right. So well, we different. skip when you, a lot of the companies, like when you even look into L'Oreal, oh. it goes one, three, four. That's right? true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We skip a two. Yeah, because they want you to mix it. Yes, but yeah. I I don't get that because, I mean, when you look at the three, it looks like a very, 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 very dark brown. Mm. Especially, like, when you first do it, it looks close to black. But then within two weeks wash, it's a dark brown. Yeah. And then you go to the black blue. It's not really. There's no in between. No. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And especially when you look into the color lines. You probably would go, like, I mean, in L'Oreal, I remember there was, like, a 3.20, which is um, which is a very purpley, plummy color. Yeah. But a lot of, what if you wanted to recreate a natural look? When you look into Moroccan hair or Indian hair, their hair is close to black, but they have a lot of reddish tint into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So why yeah. isn't there more development in that section? I'm not sure. You know? Yeah. So when you think of it, it's, it, I would understand why there's much more over there because they actually probably dissect the browns a little bit better. That's so true. You know? Because everyone there is have darker hair. Most yes. people. Not yes. everyone, but most people have darker hair. Uh, well, are you, are you meet Asians who have level 7 hair. Yeah. Honestly, I've met. I don't yeah. know if you've met, but mm-hmm. I've met. And then you've met Asians who are ha- their hair actually look black blue yeah you know yeah so you have that huge spectrum it's so look at the beauty industry or cosmetics Mm. they're only now evolving into different shades isn't that crazy it's so sad 
It's. I'm sorry. It it's took so, so long. And again, I remember being young and being like, "That's it." And then you look around you. You're like, "Um, this don't look right." <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> where are the where are the darker shades? Yeah, exactly. Is there <laughs> another section for this? And there's zero. There was zero. Yeah. There was zero when we grew, grew up. That um. That's probably why James Charles looked like a ghost the, the, first, little, <laughs> the first little while. Flashback Mary. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, color has changed the game a lot. The game has changed a lot, yeah. honestly. Yeah. So now that you're starting, you've been in the industry for 13 years. When almost you're first, 13. Almost 13. <laughs> <laughs> you're exciting. Um, when you first started out, when you, well, you're part of the LGBTQIA community, yeah. did you find it hard? No. No? No. That's amazing. Like, I never found it hard. Um, so my teacher, um, Serge, in, uh, I went to a private school downtown, and one of the first things he made us do was standing in a line, mm-hmm. and that was the first day of clients, and he asked the clients to come in and choose us. Stop. It was to prove a point. I, I would and, sweat. And not trying to make myself sound cocky, but guess who was chosen first? You. Mm hmm. Because you're adorable. Well, no, I was also appropriately dressed. Mm. I always was into fashion. Yeah. So I always, even if I wanted to be bummed down, I would literally wear, yeah, Brandon, well, literally back <laughs> in the day, I would literally just wear like, dress shoes skinny jeans and a pink hoodie yeah i would look semi-cute and fashionable yeah. right so um so and he also after when the clients left he actually explained to us why brandon got chosen mm. and one of the main reasons he actually said is because brandon's male stop he it says a lot of women especially a certain age group prefers a man to do their hair i did not know this yes and it is proven, and it's not proven. It is. Uh, it does also have been proven to me by clients being saying that they will never have a woman touch their hair. Wow! It's just like their preference. They feel more. They. Like... You know what they feel? They feel like women will not make them prettier. Oh. That's what has been said to me. They don't feel like women will make them prettier. I think it's definitely changing, of course, now with the younger generation. But I, yeah, so I have a, a, I have a clientele that's, I would say, deep into the 35 to 75 age range. Yeah. And a lot of them have told me this. Wow. A lot of them have told me this. So when in the other salon I had my own assistant on Saturdays, they told me they trusted her because I trained her. Wow. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, but yeah, so that's what he talked about, like about how I was a male and how I was, people would prefer having a male doing their hair. I've actually never heard this before. But going back on the LGBTQI, I've never felt any judgment or any type of, um, not, how would you say? It was not hard. That's amazing. It was not hard. That's really it. Cause you did start like before me so i was just curious of back then if it was harder you know no because the sad thing about this industry is that it's stereotypical they think a man is in hairdressing he's gay very true very true which is sad mm-hmm. i feel like we should break the stigma yeah because I agree. the last three male bosses i had mm-hmm. were all straight mm-hmm. you know yeah um and you actually been seeing a lot more heterosexual men in the industry now yeah a lot more uh, especially you see some of them doing the crossover f- from barbering to hairdressing. Yeah, that's right? so true. So, um, but yeah, I never really had a hard time. I never had a hard time. 
to honest in i'm this. super happy to hear that honestly i yeah. was like i was just curious about that because i don't know i feel like ba- i thought it would have been different back then no but i'm happy to hear that for you it was it wasn't hard and you of course f- in the outside world it's a different story yes no 100%. right i was protected in the salon yes. i was protected in the fashion industry i was protected in figure skating right but in the outside world it's a completely oh, different honey, that, world it's hard. <laughs> yeah it's very hard and um however i will agree it has almost being a gay hairdresser almost removes a boundary from some for some clients. Oh yeah, they feel more comfortable almost. Sometimes it's too much. <laughs> you guys, TMI, TMI. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes it's too much in the sense of like they believe that they can put my tip in my back pocket and give me a tap on the butt. Oh, it's touchy, touchy. Oh, That's touchy, not okay. touchy. It's very uh, like even when I started. Working out a few years ago, women would just come up to me and then touch my biceps. And they would never do that to a straight male. No. They definitely did it to it because of a gay male. Right. And they wouldn't do it to women. No. You know what I mean? No. Like, so. Yeah. That's yeah. really different. It is very different. Um, How did it make you feel? Like, did you feel like. You know what? Some of them I don't really mind because right. I know it's not coming from that place. Right. But some of them, I know it's coming from that place. And what did you do? What did you say? In those moments, you just, you awkwardly laugh. Yeah, I wouldn't know to what to say. To me, it's awkwardly laughing. It's not really like, don't do that ever again. Right. Um, and then I would always try to redirect it the oh. next time they came. In the sense of when I knew they were coming up, I would literally be like, oh, you can leave it at the front kind of idea. Yeah. Um. So I tried to diffuse the situation and yeah it and must so, have been so awkward like, it is awkward and you know what awkward. some clients sitting in the chair while that's happening they feel very awkward too like they look at me after and expect me to say something and sometimes i'm like she feels too comfortable <laughs> you're like i don't know i, I, I don't, don't know, know. <laughs> i don't know <laughs> you're like, <laughs> exactly and then sometimes they feel like you have to justify the relationship oh wow you know yeah <laughs> but uh at the end of the day there's being a gay man yeah there's been some pros and cons Mm. and definitely um i think being gay has worked on my benefit especially within the fashion and hair industry for sure that's amazing did you find that you have a hard time with boundaries with uh, your clients and this lawn life or do you feel like you're able to have those boundaries this is my work life and this is so some clients of mine i feel like i've developed a relationship more than just client to hairdresser yeah and i feel actually which is interesting covid yeah blended that line a little bit more i agree um which some of them i'm totally fine with Mm -hmm. but and sometimes i'm not because i mean again my days off are my days off yeah i do like to disconnect but then if you're texting me on a Sunday night at 9 p.m. asking me to book a hair appointment for you right now. Yeah. That's a little bit blurring the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and some clients, of course, I think you would agree. There's some clients you tell them some things about your personal life and some clients you t- don't tell them about your personal life. So, again, it depends. Mm-hmm. It really depends on the client at yeah. the end of the day. And how you feel, like, your connection with them. and There is, like, I call them my core Brandons. They're like the ones who are the diehards in the sense that they don't want, even if I go on vacation, they just don't even, they won't even come for the weekly blow dry. Oh, wow. Because they don't want anyone else 
doing their hair. Yeah. And a lot, I feel a lot of clients, I mean, I'm not saying I'm a bad hairdresser, but I'm saying that I feel like a lot of them come to me because of who I am as a person. Yeah. And they appreciate our conversations. Yeah. So, uh, then those are the ones I really adore. I love I that. really adore. Because you do develop more of that relationship. When you have someone that comes into your into the salon once a week, spends at least half an hour with you in their chair, they tell you about their kids, their husbands, their family members, their travels, their work issues, and then you do the same. Yeah. You do create a bond, a natural bond. That's what human interaction is all about. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we are closer to these people than they are to their families and vice versa. Yeah. Is that crazy? It is crazy, but it's at the same time, it's beautiful. I love it. I think it's beautiful because, and that's one thing I do enjoy about this job is that you're able to meet so many people who have different ideas and different opinions and you are actually able to pick up the ones that you are you feel comfortable with and then you let go of the opinions that you don't feel comfortable with yeah and then you're able to grow as, an, as a person like i yeah. took this as a growing opportunity yeah in that sense from talking out loud to people honestly i agree i started in the industry super young mm-hmm. and like well how old were you i was like 16 17 okay and then right after uh, high school too yeah right yeah. after high school and my mom well she's an immigrant mom and she's from vietnam so like there's a lot that she just doesn't know. Mm. Like, so I felt like I learned so much from my clients, mm. even from buying a condo. Like, right. I didn't, um, when I was 18, my client was like, you need an RSP. And I didn't know what that was. Same. And I was like, what is that? And they would explain to me and give me advice. And when I bought a condo, I didn't know that you're supposed to, like, it takes time to take it out. Right. I just thought that I'd go to the bank and take it out and, and buy the condo. Yeah. And then my client was like, no, that's yeah. not how it works. And yeah. these aren't things that my mom knows. She doesn't even have one. Okay. And I actually recently talked to her and was like, mom, you need an RSP. You're reti- you're at the age of retiring soon. And she was right. like, what is that? Right. And she's 57. Wow. It's, so it's like, I learned so much from clients. That Same. I'm so thankful yeah. for it. Because you started really young too, right? Yeah, well, that's it. And I mean, again, like I told you, like um, I, didn't re- I didn't rely on my dad for a lot of things. I relied on him for a lot of the like, car mechanics. <laughs> but I Thanks, did. Dad. Yeah, but like, I mean, my first credit card was encouraged not by my dad. It was by my client. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My... That's how you build your credit. Yes, but then again... The savings also were encouraged by clients, not by my family members. Um, even travel destinations have been encouraged yeah. by clients. And yeah, you're right, though. You do definitely develop that relationship with them. I, I don't think I knew how to save until my clients told me, honestly. Oh, I knew how to save before. I did not, I did not know how to save before. Being 16 years old. You have to. That's making true. like less than $600 a month. Damn. I need to pay rent. That's crazy. You have to like figure it out. So my dad was, I remember my dad was, my dad is, you can give him a million dollars and he still thinks he's Poe. So not poor, Poe. <laughs> <laughs> um, and which is, which is actually, to be honest, that just, my dad's just a very humble person. Yeah. A very humble person. And I grew up witnessing this man every single night writing down in a book what he spent, his bills, and what he made. And at the end of the month, he would see if he was in the pluses or minuses. Oh my and God. if he was in the minuses, he would find a way to bring that back to a plus. Oh, my God. Yeah. I like, don't think I've ever done that. I budget myself, but I don't think I've done so that. <laughs> I remember when I moved out, and I guess you can say it was very free-willy, and then being three months in, be like, holy shit, I don't have any money. 
Yeah. How am I going to make money? How am I going to be able to afford this? Mm. Because again, six year old, naive, everything's easy. Everything's going to come yeah. naturally to you. But so like, I've been like that since the get go in the sense of when I moved out. So I think we, we, we talked about this the other day. It's like, yeah. if I have to make a certain amount in a certain amount of time, I'll go on my books and I'll be able to be like, this is where I'm going to cut. This is where I'm not going to cut. This is what I'm going to do to be able to make this money. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I, need, I need to do that. Yeah, but I mean, like, I mean, uh, to me, also growing up and maturing, I realized that being rich is not longer about the materialistic things. No. Being like, when I was young, I was like, oh my God, I love a Mercedes. Oh my God, I would love a mansion. Oh my God. You know, you know yeah. how those little naive little dreams? I call them naive because they are naive a little yeah. bit. Being now at this point in my life, I realized being rich is not having debt. I agreed. Debt sucks. Debt sucks, and I don't get how people are able to live on credit all the time because I would never be able to live on credit. It gives me anxiety. I can't even owe someone twenty dollars. <laughs> like Literally. I hate it. Oh my friend's like, no, don't worry about it. I'm like, no, e transferring you right now. This <laughs> is not happening. Um, yeah, so that to me is like living in debt is like when I go on vacation, the credit card's already at zero by the time I'm on the plane. Right. I don't go on vacation if I don't have the money. I agree. The same thing. Um, just with everything in my life, everything yeah. I have in my life right now is there's no debt. I love that. I have no debt whatsoever. I think the it's because in society it's encouraged, right? Like a little bit. You're right, but the banks encourage it. That's true. It's true. The banks true. make money off of people due to their debt. Yeah. Yeah. Because like almost everyone like. Do you want another credit card? Do you want it for ten thousand dollars? <laughs> sure. Is it free? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is it is free? It- if it's not free, I don't want it. Exactly. I don't know. I, and I why like, isn't saving sexy? I don't know why. Why is it People sex- judge you. Yes. If you don't use your credit card. But the, more. I mean, it's in, it's in, I remember this was a few years ago when I decided that I wanted to buy a condo. It was six years ago when I, went, well, when I decided to buy a condo. And I sat down with the guy and he looked into my, um, my finances and he looked at me and he's like, you're only 26? No. 25 let's just say 25 and you're only 25 i'm like yeah why he's like you're saving like you're a 30 year old you're like that's what's up i was like isn't everybody supposed to do this and he turned to me and he started like he giggled he was just like ran the guys who are your age who drive bmws and mercedes and are going out and doing bottle service that's all credit oh my I was like God. really and he goes yeah and he's like this and this is again sad of events the sad reality is like they probably would get a mortgage before i would right yeah so uh yeah but that's it to me i'm like at the end of the day i just rather live debt free i agree when i came back from ottawa i had that little um uh, student debt Mm. and i took my inheritance and paid it off yeah i told myself that money means nothing in the bank yeah if i have that money that's owed yeah to me, you know, you not you don't have anything saved because it's... no, it balances out. It doesn't balance out. And I remember talking to like even a like, talking to, I guess you could say an ex of mine. And when I found out about credit and blah blah, I was just like, just pay it off. Yeah. Just pay it off. Yeah. You know, you'll feel so much better at the end of the day. And you'll have less anxiety and stress. But some people don't even live with that anxiety or stress, oh, which is so interesting to me because I do live with that anxiety and stress all the time. Yeah. yeah. Like, if my credit card has more than like $100, I'm like, oh my God. Yes. It's too much money. Same. I, same. It, I just recently paid off my credit card and like, yeah. 
it's amazing. And it I was is. like, holy crap. Yeah. My line of credit, I paid it off this year. I was right. like, well, you're not a homeowner, right? Finally. So, and that's why I told myself, like last year when I bought my condo, I told the bank, I said, my only debt I want to have is my mortgage. Agreed. And that's a normal, financially stable debt to have. Yeah. You know, if mortgage yeah. hopefully comes back to help you. Yeah. Hopefully. And I think I did my best investment also because I did end up buying brand new. And so brand new pre-construction does give you a good return at the end. But uh, but yeah, I told the bank, I said, the only debt I want is my mortgage. Yeah. You know? I so, agree. yeah. I think a lot of people also always have car debt. Yeah. It's like the biggest and it's like so much it's, money. But it's stupid. It's so it's much It's stupid money. car debt. I remember when I bought my car, um, I did it for uh, five years financing mm-hmm. because I told myself I'd rather see a small amount than a big amount every single two weeks. Right. And it was not necessarily about like I didn't have the money. It was more about like... I just need to see a smaller amount to feel myself comfortable. And the great thing about that financing was that it was open. So you can, if you had the extra cash, you can put it down, you know, you didn't, it didn't need to, it didn't have to be the same amount all the time Mm. for the next five years. Because I asked them like, if I want to pay it off, it's in four years. Could I? They're like, yeah, no problem. Right. I paid off in three. Because I just told myself when I made extra, (laughs) no, but I told myself whenever, like whenever I did, um, an extra job, like whenever I went on site for a wedding and got paid a nice lump sum of money, I went to the bank right after and paid paid my car. I love that. I didn't take that money and buy myself a Gucci bag. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because I even get buyer's remorse after. Oh my god, I'm the worst. Yeah. I because I'm impulsive and I'll buy and I'm mm, I'm bad. Oh. <laughs> no, bad. I get buyer's remorse. Like my, I wanted to give myself. Um, a, a designer bag it was gonna be my first designer bag and i've been dreaming about this bag since i was in LaSalle college it's the louis vuitton duffel it's black and gray i'm obsessed with it it's very expensive how and much tell the beat tell it's 3500 dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and i wanted to get that for my 30th birthday mm. thanks covid didn't happen <laughs> <laughs> didn't work for three months um, so of course didn't buy the bag. No. And now I told myself, I'm like, but I still should give myself something. So I told myself I'll buy myself diamonds. So <gasps> they're a little bit less expensive. So <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that crazy though, that a bag is more expensive than diamonds? Like, you're right. Blows my mind. Cause diamonds, not, not anymore, but diamonds used to be so rare and but so they are expensive. rare though. Real For true sure. diamonds. You can make diamonds now. Yes. But they're less valuable than this real diamonds. I'm sorry. The world where Tearing up our world. This is true. And so diamonds should, you're right, should go up in price a lot now because it's taking that much harder, taking that much work to find diamonds. But the bag costs more. Yeah. Like that's, it. that just blows my mind. Like what, $100 back then and oh, what, $100 totally now? Totally love you. Before you were able to buy a house, my grandparents bought their house for um, back in 1960 something they bought their house for seventeen thousand dollars i wish like what is that that's a down payment but at the same time they were (laughs) but then they were only making like three dollars an hour yeah i guess like if you look at at three dollars and we've only gone up by 10 (laughs) in the last like 60 years that's not enough that's not enough no it's not enough that's definitely not enough yeah and 
I think why I love talking to you about the most is because we, we actually work together, Ben and I, <laughs> and we talk a lot, obviously. <laughs> and we always talk about like goal, what our goals are in the mm-hmm. future and, and like kind of what fulfills us. And I remember you were telling me about um, advocating for HIV and AIDS mm. and like tell the viewer, viewers about this. Like, well, um, what did you want to advocate about? I feel there's a lack of education. I still do I agree with feel, this. I do feel like there's a huge lack of education in the gay community and as well in the heterosexual community. I think it's everywhere. Yeah, well, that's it. It's everywhere, period. Period. <laughs> period. Um, and I remember hearing Alyssa Milano a few years ago saying that HIV AIDS is not marketable. I'm sorry, what? It's not marketable. She was advocating for HIV AIDS. She was saying breast cancer is pink and it's girly and it's feminine and it's family friendly. That's why breast cancer is marketable. HIV AIDS, everyone wants to automatically situate it with sex. Yeah. And gay sex. This is very true. The stigma. People are comfortable with lesbian, a little bit more lesbian sex if it's two hot girls having it, but they don't want to hear about two men having sex still. Yeah. Till this day in 2020. I don't know why. I don't care what bubble you live in, but there's a lot of bubbles that don't want to think about two men having sex. Yeah. Anyways, so I feel like there's a, a huge lack of education. And like, I mean, PrEP has been out now for almost six years and still a lot of people don't know about PrEP. The gay community know about PrEP, but not the straight community know about PrEP. Tell everyone about what PrEP is. So PrEP is pretty much uh, a drug that is, I compare it to like a birth control pill. Yeah. You take it every single day mm-hmm. and it alarms your body of the virus. So when the virus actually comes into your bloodstream, it can actually attack it and reduce the risk of get, contracting HIV AIDS. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of um, gay men are encouraged to go on to it, yeah. especially if they're practicing um, unsafe sex, I guess right. you can say, unprotected sex. Mm-hmm. Um, so gay men have been very encouraged to get onto this. Yes. As for, I don't get why straight men are not talked about this. I don't know why. And because- it's almost normalized in the gay community that like everyone know knows about PrEP and like it's just normal to take it. But I was 18 years old when I came officially out and I remember being told by my older gay friends, you have to go get tested. It was automatic, like, a birthright <laughs> in the sense that like, you have to go get tested just because you're a gay man. Right. Right? Yeah. How many straight men do you know go every year and get tested? None. Thank you. None. Same thing. I None. Same thing. Um, as for gay men, we go minimum every six months. It's, yeah, I'm... Right? Uh, all of my friends who are in the gay community, it's like, that's even if they have a steady partner, they still do it. Yeah. It's just normal. Yeah. And I'm not sure why it's not normal. I don't know also. I, I, that's one thing I want to change. I don't know how, but I want to change. I def- so that's one, um, the same thing about uh, education in the gay community about how there's a huge stigma about how it's a death sentence. It's no longer a death it's sentence. It's not a death No. It's no. not a death sentence. It's, um, it's literally... And I think Trudeau even said this a few years ago about like why are we treating HIV AIDS as a death sentence and we're treating it for criminally as a death sentence. It's true. And it's yeah, like you're shamed about. Almost. Yes, it is shamed about. I yeah. mean, at the end of the day, a doctor who is in this field will tell you she would rather you have HIV than diabetes. One hundred percent. Diabetes is harder to control than HIV. And you can't HIV. You do take anything. one pill a day. Yeah doesn't matter what time of the day but you take it one pill a day 
and you'll become undetectable. And undetectable, for those people who do not know, undetectable means pretty much it's not showing up in your bloodstream as often. Yeah. So, like, you're not... So, it's pretty much you're almost, like, you're 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 healthy. Yeah. You're completely healthy. You, you're not going to give it to someone else, essentially. Yeah, so that's it. Undetectable means untransmissionable also. Exactly. So, you cannot... It's you cannot transmit it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that I'm saying everything correctly <laughs> to just pr- pr- make sure everyone's educated about it. But that's the thing. I, in the gay community, um, the amount of people I felt like I've had to educate throughout time about HIV and untransmissionable and undetectable, it's shocking to me. I know. It's shocking. It's, it's just shocking like, to me too. Open I don't your get it. eyes. Yeah. This is still going on. And if I'm the first person you met and you're only 35 years old and who's talking to you about this, you clearly have met a lot of other guys who are HIV positive and just did not feel comfortable to telling you because they were scared. Yeah. And scared about scrutiny and scared about all these other things, you know? Yeah. So, um, I wish, I wish we're going to come in a time where, you know, we don't have, we're not going to feel ashamed to be like, yeah, I am positive, but I'm taking PrEP. Like, that way, it's no, you the can't. norm. So, you have to fix that. Sorry, I'm not, I'm negative, but I'm taking PrEP. Yes. I don't yeah, know why I said yeah, positive, yeah. sorry. <laughs> Just correction, she actually means that when you're PrEP, when you're taking PrEP, you're ne- you're, you are technically negative yeah. because PrEP is supposed to prevent. Yes, sorry. Right? As for when you are, have HIV, you take uh, the anti um but um antiviral load uh medication yeah. to lower your viral load which makes you undetectable exactly which means untransmissionable also. i don't know why like that's not the norm to talk about it's not it's also i don't and again it's just like i said the gay community is still very scared about it and they should not be scared about it a lot they were of shame for so long and they still are shamed but it's horrible though the amount of stories i even hear about people who let's say are undetectable and they meet a guy who is on prep and he still doesn't want to be with them. Wow. It's almost used against them now. Yeah. And I remember talking to this about my family doctor about this and she was sad to hear this. I said, but yeah, once there's power given, there's also like once there's like, I guess like you said, not power. Once there's freedom, then people take power from that freedom. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. And I, I, it's sad to hear that. It's really sad to hear that. And it's again as a community we've talked about this yes and as a community everyone thinks it's all rainbows and unicorns yeah but deep down into the community it's very not very accepting no of each other no a lot of gay men don't like each other yeah a lot of lesbians and gay men don't get along yeah a lot of people put judgment a lot we of subcategorize each oh other so much and that drives me bonkers it's like we're I all agree. human mm-hmm. As a human race, we're trying to no longer divide race. Yeah. Why the hell, as a community, we're trying to divide each other, each other. by physical attributes? I don't know. Or just phys- or just personalities. It's like you're if you're this, you act that you act like this because you're gay, or but if like, you're lesbian, why? you act like this because you're you know it's yeah, so yeah no. But even in the sense, I was just like, why do we have to call? Oh, he's so mask, or he's so femme, or he's so, uh, or he's a bear, or he's a twink, or and even she's a butch and she's a lipstick, and uh, it just to me, it's just like we're just all human. Yeah. Why are we doing this to ourselves? I know I don't know what it is with humans and the fascination of labels. Like, we need labels for every single little thing. I know. And it's like, 
also gatekeeping too. Like you're not part of the community because you're this. But what if you know what I mean? Like mm. the the spectrum is the sexuality spectrum is very long. There's a big one. But you know what I, I feel is that we jumped jumped the gun a little bit too quickly. Mm. I feel it's like when you say gatekeeping, it just I just in my brain I'm imagining the gates opening and all these gay queer people are running through it yeah and i feel like um globally we are not prepared still mm-hmm. i don't think where a lot of people are getting confused yeah i feel like there's too much information mm. i mean maybe that's wrong to say but i feel like there no there's actually that's wrong there's a lot of information given right I just don't think there's a lot of correct information given. Yeah. And education is key with all these as- uh, aspects. Mm-hmm. So when people ask me like, oh, I'm sorry to ask you these questions. I'm like, I don't mind. I'm, yeah. I like, I want to educate you with the yeah. difference between transgender, transsexual, uh, cross-dresser, drag non-binary. queen, non-binary. I don't mind educating mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, if you're asking me, it's because you're actually curious to know yeah. and you want to better yourself. Yeah. You don't want to be ignorant anymore. Yes. Right? Yeah. So the same thing about correcting people on pronouns also. Mm-hmm. Um, even me, I catch myself being like, no, they. Yeah. You know? I feel like you have to, like, when you're, with society growing up, you're so, oh, it's him, her, or she, or she. Yes. And it's, like, now we're learning about they and them, and I feel like the older generation are, are also learning, mm. and it's okay that we mess up as long as we're like, oh, I messed up, let me just fix that. Right. You know what I mean? As long right. as you're willing to learn, I think it's harder when it's with someone who's not even willing to say they, them, or willing to respect your pronouns. Because they or... believe in their box. And they yeah, don't want to get exactly. out of the box. They exactly. believe in... I'm sorry. I'm, again, it's the majority white straight men mm-hmm. in that box. Agreed. Because they have the most privilege, right? They don't see... <sighs> they don't. They don't see it. They no, don't see it. they don't. No, that's it. And then, I mean, again, when you talk about people about white privilege, and then you say, like, well, I've never seen my black friends having a hard time. It's like... Well, your black friends were probably in a white community, community, suburban community, where they probably were the only black people on that street or in that school. Mm-hmm. And they were in a middle class public school or let's say even private school. Mm-hmm. Ask them how it really was. Yeah. Have the conversation. Have the conversation. Was everything that easy? Because I guarantee you it's not. Exactly. I guarantee you. And you you saying that just shows you of how much you're white privileged. Yeah. I'm saying I'm white privileged. I'm even white gay privileged. Mm -hmm. You know, because I'm a gay white man. I'm sure if I was a gay black man, I'm sure my life would be so different. 100%. So different. I don't necessarily think that, look, I don't think if I'm a black man, it'd be that easier to work in a white salon, hair salon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I so, agree. Yeah. I feel like I have also have privilege too. Like I'm a light-skinned Asian, you know, mm. like Southeast Asian. So it's the whole colorism in, in Asia, in a lot of countries, is like if you're lighter skin, mm. you have more European features. So you're more uh, privileged in that sense. Right. If you're darker, then you're almost looked down upon and like, right. you know what I mean? And right. I think that as long as we all own that we have privilege and say, this is what my privilege is, and I'm willing to use our voice to help you know, those who aren't privileged and really using uh, our platform to say, you know, like they, this issue needs to be talked about. Right. You know, and right. starting from that, starting with their family, starting with their friends. Right. Right? It's, right. it's funny. Like you don't realize how so many of our family and friends are so ignorant. Oh, 
I know. <laughs> oh, I know, and I t- and I call them out on it all the time, though. I love I that you do that all the time, though. And I think my dad is very accepting of me doing that of him right now. I do it with more love. When right. I was younger, it was anger. It was anger, and then now it's just more out of love. Yeah. Um, did you find it? Is was it anger because you were frustrated with him? Like, why? Why did you think that you had it in anger when you were younger compared to now? What changed? Um. I think what changed was understanding where ignorance comes from. Mm. And when I looked at the root of this problem, it was education. And I said, you know what? Why am I going to be angry at this man who does not know any better? Yeah. So if I, and then also I remember one time I was having, I created an argument with my family and my brother said, well, when you present to us so angrily, how else are we supposed to take it? I was like, oh, so you know what? Then that's when I started saying everything with kindness and just like educating, gladly sitting down and explain them the A, B, C, Ds, yeah. you know? And I think that's what changed also my, with my dad. And when I presented things to him, I said, no, Papa, we don't say this. We say that. Okay. You know? And yeah. he's changed too about it. That's amazing. You know? Yeah. Like he told me this really adorable story. <laughs> um that there's a little boy on his on his school bus because my dad retired and he decided to do school bus driving. So That's cute. He's, yeah, <laughs> he's bored. Um, but no, he ends he loves it and he loves the kids. And he said there's a little boy on the school bus and he said he, I think he told me he was six or eight years old, and he said he has blonde curly hair, pale skin, and he said he reminds me of you. But this boy told the bo- kid, other kids on the bus, "Yes, I'm gay. So what?" And my dad was looked back and was like, wow, I wonder what it would have been like for Brandon to be like that at that age. Oh, my God. Right? So, I mean, he is already able to now, I guess, being less ignorant. Yeah, and look back. And he's able to realize that that kid is now living their truth at a very young age and is loud and proud about it and not scared, right? Instead of my dad maybe ignorant, my dad was like, oh, well, he doesn't know who he is at six years old. Yeah. Right? That's ignorance. That is very much ignorance. Right? He didn't say that, though. He just said, I wonder how it would have been for Brandon if he was, like, you know, open, loud, and proud. You know? Wow. Yeah. So, um... It's cool to see that growth is possible. Oh, growth is so possible. As long as you believe in your growth and you want to grow. Yeah. When people say, I'm fine the way I am. Honey... We can all <laughs> grow and change. Yeah. I can grow. We, I grew and changed. Yeah. You have to grow and change as a human. Yeah. There's a reason why it's called metamorphosis. There's yeah. a reason why we have the butterfly. Yeah. That just shows you evolution. Yeah. Right? And you yeah. should evolve. I agree. Right? And yeah. are you are you are you proud of yourself from when you were younger? Oh my god. In the closet to now? You must be so proud of yourself. Because um, you went through so much and you like I feel conquered so much. And you're only 30. Like, it's still mm. very young, you know? Mm. I mean, you you are amazing in your industry. Like, you moved out when you were 16. You, like, built this life for yourself, literally. Right. And now you're buying your own home. Like, you must feel so proud to be like, I I did this myself. Yeah, I, well, I you mean, know? it's interesting. I would think, uh, I make this joke all the time. I say, if you told 16-year-old Brandon in high school where 30-year-old Brandon would be, I'd be like, yeah, right. Wow. Um... Because a 16-year-old Brandon, I thought a different life for myself. Oh. Right? Yeah. I still thought I was going to be a straight man. Okay, that's true. Right? Yeah. I also thought 
I just thought of a different life for myself. Mm-hmm. So, so, but now sitting here um, with the life I had, sometimes I feel accomplished mm-hmm. and sometimes I feel like there's still work to be done. Yeah. And what's yeah. the work that you want to like well, do more? I definitely feel like I want to do a lot more for people in general. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, like you've said about being an advocate, I definitely want to tap into that a little bit more mm-hmm. with the the community. I definitely want to give back to my community. Um, so definitely I'm researching that currently right now to figure out how I can give back and how I can educate. And I just feel like I need to, there's a part of me that wants to give more yeah. instead of, um, yeah, just I need to give more. And I definitely know that's my next path in life is yeah. just to do more for other people and help educate i love educating people mm-hmm. that's what i realized i mean i love educating people um i definitely see myself traveling a little bit more i definitely see you know one day i would love to write a book yep. i'm down for this book because you're <laughs> no because you're very good at communicating and the way you explain things is like you're so open and you're, there's mm-hmm. no judgment i feel like i feel like that's why we connected so easily mm. we haven't known each other for that long no but we connected so easily because like thanks so... covid <laughs> <laughs> i know thanks COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but he like you're so open to things and you're the way you explain things is like you can tell it's out of love even if let's say i say something wrong you fix me but i know it i love that you do that but you do right. it in such a way that's so loving thank you you know what i mean so i think that it'll show in your book and i'm i'm just so excited to see what you have in the future like thank I, you. I know you're gonna go far even more oh wow Mm -hmm. thank you that means a lot i love you i love you too (laughs) and thank you for coming to my podcast thank you so much out of your day off no it's honestly fabulous it's great we're sitting here at your kitchen table six feet apart with our coffees (laughs) that's great still socially distancing